Welcome in surprise edition, late night surprise edition of the BCJ podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Ed Brendel and my guest tonight has been busy. I'm on, I'm on East Coast time. He's on West Coast time right now. So, so he's experiencing a little sunlight, it looks like, out the window. He's got the glow on his face from the hotel room. He's looking good. And he's here to talk UC basketball, none other than the new head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats, a guy that has won, on average, 25 games a year over the past three years at UNC Greensboro. And he's got a, he's got a ring. Like, that's got a, when you walk into a living room, there's nothing better than, than having one of those shiny rings on. A big, big Holy Grail BCJ podcast welcome to Wes Miller. Coach, welcome in. How are you? Oh, thanks so much, Chad. That's that's a hell of an introduction. So more than I deserve. I'm I'm great. Um, a golden hour here in Seattle, as you mentioned, and uh, but I'm ready to get back to Cincinnati. So I catch a flight here at midnight on the red eye. A, a red eye flight. Ooh, that that that's that's a rough one. But maybe I know you haven't had much time to like uninterrupted get some sleep. So the red eye might actually be good for you across the country. You know what, with, with not being able to use your phone and, uh, you know, having an opportunity to get some shot, I might, <laughs> might be better than it's been in the hotel room at night with the phone going off. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be good. But it's exciting time, Chad. Like there's so much going on. Um, it, I feel like I'm still treading water a little bit because we got we got to get a staff <laughs> in place and we got to get right uh, a roster together. And we there's so many things to put in place, but it is exciting and thrilling. Like I. I'm so excited. I don't think I, I could sleep, even though I'm probably going to need to do that at some point. Have you eaten yet? I, I, I'm told you you've gone <laughs> like like most days without eating. I, I sent you a recommendation on the precinct. You probably haven't had the chance to take me up on, on that yet. But uh, have you gotten any sustenance or are you living on like granola bars and, and energy <laughs> drinks? It's funny. Um I think I'll probably look back at this time and, and really laugh as we, as we get past it a couple months from now, because we're, we're just, it's just, everything's going a mile a minute. No, I've, I don't think I've had a proper meal in four days. <laughs> I mean, everything has been completely on the run. I, I got a, I stopped at subway before I got on my flight to Seattle. Oh man. I, I think it was the first time I sat down and just ate anything. So everything I've been eating is on the move. Um, and that was on the way out here, but it's ironic because I'm such a foodie. I mean, I love a great restaurant and it doesn't we'll always get along well like there. Nice yeah. Well, I keep hearing about all these restaurants in Cincinnati. I, I like nice restaurants. I like holes in the wall. I just love food. And so, uh, when things settle down, I can't wait to explore this food scene. I keep hearing about in Cincinnati. Your guy on the food, on the food scene. Cause I, I'm the same way. I, I Ruby's. I'm sure you've heard the name Jeff Ruby by this point. I have. Jeff Ruby owns the precinct. That's why I, I recommended there initially. If you're going to make a first impression, you go to the top. But Let's do I, it. I've got I've got a lot of great recommendations on little hole in the wall spots that uh, that that you can hit in the as well. And there is, uh, especially over the past like five or six years, Cincinnati's become a really interesting like like food spot and that there's there's a bunch of good stuff that's not far from campus so I, I can't wait to dive in it might be a couple more weeks but i can't wait to dive in 
once you got it, like what, 10, what's the number on the, once you get 10 or 11, are you, are you going to go out and have dinner at some point in time? Some, some point <laughs> we, we got to get a team. We, we have to have a team together for sure. Uh, I, I want to get in. I know a lot of people have heard your philosophy. They've heard the press conference. <clears throat> the people listening here are, you know, are, are the diehards. So I want to get into a little bit of, uh, of behind the scenes on Wes Miller. Um, we talked a little bit before the podcast started about being a basketball junkie. And for me, that started late 80s, early 90s, going to games with my dad at the beginning of the Bob Huggins era at the, the newly opened at the time, Fifth Third Arena, which was the Shoemaker Center at the time, and, and really like falling in love with the game. For Wes Miller, when was that? When did that love really – was that for me? The other thing for me, I was a huge Big East guy as a kid. You know, growing up in the, the – you're a couple years behind me, but growing up, at the, at the start of like Big Monday and, you know, Hoya Paranoia and all the personalities of coaches in the Big East. And then Bob Huggins comes to town, kind of is one of those larger than life guys. That's when basketball really stuck for me. When, you know, when did that hit for you that, that this is what, this is what fuels me? Yeah, it's It's a great question. Um, and probably in the, early to mid nineties. Cause again, 38 years old, you got to, you know, think about your formidable years. Um, it was going to wake forest basketball games. My dad was a graduate of wake forest, played baseball there and is a huge basketball fan. And we had season tickets to wake forest growing up. And I, I fell in love with like Randolph Childress. I, I wore the number yeah. 22, uh, my entire life all the way through college. And Randolph Childress is like my hero, uh, as a, as a young kid. And so I, I fell in love going to Wake Forest games, going to the ACC tournament. And, you know, you grew up in the state of North Carolina. That was a huge event in those days. Yeah. Um, I actually couldn't stand Carolina. I was like anybody <laughs> but Carolina as a kid. Um, and, and, and then obviously, like as I got a little bit older, it became all of college basketball and was fortunate to go to the NCAA tournament a bunch with my father. So I, I was I fell in love with basketball at a really young age. And it probably started with Wake Forest basketball. And then it, you know, it became college basketball. I, I never was a huge NBA fan, although we did go to a bunch of Hornets games. I, my mom lived in Charlotte uh, from when we were 10 years old on. So I lived in Greensboro and Charlotte and went to a bunch of Charlotte Hornets game with Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. So I was into that a little bit, um, but really just college basketball from, from early age on and then the ACC primarily. Becoming a player, like when did you realize, like maybe this, maybe the I'm not going to be a, an NBA superstar, <laughs> but maybe this is my path into the coaching world. Cause I, I know Coach Williams has talked about that, like when he met with you uh, and you transferred to North Carolina uh, about your idea of being a coach. When did this start to click that, you know, maybe my path is a little different. Maybe my path is, is being the guy running the show from the sidelines and um, seeing that door kind of open a little bit for you. Yeah. So I, I went to, I went to prep school in new England. So I, I did, I haven't spent my whole life in the Southeast. I spent three years of high school in New Hampshire 
in a school called New Hampton School. Micah Adams uh, Woods went there. So yep. same school. And it's a it's been an elite basketball program for 40 years that, you know, they're the they're best 30 college something. basketball league in the country. It, it is. I think it, the NEPSAC is one of the best. It's probably the best high school basketball league in the country, especially because the post grads and all that over the years. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's my, you know, my last three years of high school, you know, I played with a couple NBA players. So a guy named Bernard Robinson, who was a great player at Michigan and went on to play, you know, in, in the NBA was my roommate. And then a guy named Rashad McCants, who was a great player at Carolina oh, yeah. and a lottery pick was my roommate after Bernard left. So I think when I was rooming in high school with the NBA, like, like guys that probably had a chance to play in the NBA it became really obvious that I didn't. <laughs> um, and, 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 but, but I didn't I want think, to say it. You can say it. It, I, it, it was, you know, I think whether my ego was able to admit that at the time or not, I think you just start to realize, well, they're a little different than me. Um, and <laughs> right. at, least, at least there's guys out here that are different. They certainly weren't in the NBA then, but, uh, yeah, I, I think like early on, it was always like any kid, I want to play in the NBA. And then whenever that's over, I want to coach. And probably as I got into high school, I realized, well, I want to play as long as I can. And then I want to coach. <laughs> um, but I, I think I always felt from an early age, just because of my passion and love for basketball, I wanted to be a basketball coach, whether that was because I understood it or not, which I probably didn't. And I thought it was what you're supposed to say. Uh, but I, I, for some reason, I always thought that was going to be my path. You play one year in college uh, as a scholarship player. You transfer. There's not a lot of guys that, that can put their ego aside enough to transfer into a walk-on situation. Uh, what's, what's the real story on, on that decision and how difficult was that to, to kind of put your ego aside a little bit and, and take on a different path? Yeah, I mean, I, I had no interest in being a walk-on. You know, I, I, had, and I had a very healthy ego as a player. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, honestly, and, and, you know, a couple schools did recruit, uh, did pursue me as a recruited walk on a high school and I wanted no part of it. Um, but when coach, well, I was leaving James Madison, it wasn't actually, there was some great parts of that experience and I still have some great friends from there, but it just wasn't the basketball culture at the time that I, I, I wanted, you know, I dreamed my whole right, life right. about playing college basketball and it just didn't feel right. Um, and so when I was leaving there, actually, was I visited Penn and I visited Columbia, and I was going to make a decision between those two. And during that process, uh, I got a call from Joe Holiday. It's actually an interesting story. Um, Joe Holiday was Roy Williams' head assistant at Kansas. They had just gotten the job at Carolina, and he asked if I'd be willing to just to come down and take a take a visit to campus, sit down with Coach. And it's amazing how like there's a small world. You know, when I was a prep school player and Rashad McCants was my roommate, I had a, a cell phone. This is before everybody had cell phones. I had the little skinny Nokia. Um, yeah, and that you could play snake on. That, that's right. Like, exactly. And, you know, Rashad <laughs> didn't have a cell phone. And so the whole, he was a McDonald's All-American. Everybody in the country is recruiting him. So a bunch of coaches got my cell phone number and would call, call my phone to talk to Rashad, which was, you know, not good for the ego, right? Because those are the kind of schools that I wanted to recruit me. And they were all recruiting my roommate through my phone. But Joe Holiday, when he was calling to recruit Rashad from Kansas, would talk to Rashad for five minutes and then talk to me for 20. Not because he wanted to recruit me, because he was just a really nice guy. And we developed a little bit of a relationship. 
So when I was transferring a year, you know, a couple of years later, that relationship came into play, went down and sat down with Coach Williams a month after he got the job there. And I mean, I had no interest in being a walk on, but he did. He sat in his office for two hours, my dad and I, and he asked me, you know, what do you want to do when you're done when you're done with college? And I said, well, I want to be a basketball coach and I'll never forget it. He looked at me and said, I don't mean this arrogantly, but if you want to coach, you have to come here and we're going to help you. We have this great basketball family and you have to come here. And the rest is kind of history. It didn't happen instantaneously, but a couple of days later, you know, with some guidance from my parents, um, I made that decision, but I never made it thinking that I wasn't going to play. Like I, you know, it was always, I'm going to go find a way to play. Cause I, I did really love playing the game. And at that time I really, I did identify as a player first. You go from there to becoming a team captain and a national champion. Take me through the moment coach Williams informed you that you were being named a team captain for North freaking Carolina. Like I couldn't even imagine my head at that point in time. I don't, I don't really remember that I, in all honesty. I just, I think I have some great memories. Um, I, I wanted to play so bad. I mean, I, you know, my first two years, I had to sit one year with the rules in those days. And my second year, it was the year we won the national championship and I was playing behind Raymond Felton and a bunch of other guys that, you know, ended up having great professional careers but I was miserable right. sitting. I was a good teammate. I was, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I was miserable deep down. So the, the thing I remember is my junior year after we won it, finally getting an opportunity to get in the games and have a role in earning a starting spot, you know, and actually having coach talk to me a little bit, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, all of a sudden like coach is talking to me in practice and, um, you know, so I, I have great memories from, from playing, no doubt about it. And it, it's, it's a neat story to go from a, a walk on to a starter. And then, you know, I got humbled my senior year when they recruited the number one shooting guard and number one point guard in the nation and Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington. And then my ass was right back on the bench. So um, I, I've been through it all as a player. I feel like I can relate to, to these young people I'm coaching. Tell me the feeling of the clock hitting zero and winning a national championship. Oh, that's, that's, undescribable I got undescribable um I think one of the neatest moments of my life is sitting on the stage watching one shiny moment in the arena uh well I guess it wasn't an arena we were in St. Louis playing in a dome but in you know you're yeah. sitting on the stage you know my whole life you stay up and you watch the national championship game and then you wait, you watch, you watch the whole celebration, the trophy, and you wait right. for one shiny moment. That's kind of a thing. And to actually be sitting there on the stage and you're actually watching your team from the floor in one shiny moment, that is one of the highlights of my life. I dream about doing that again. I, I, I want to do that as a coach. Being on one shining moment isn't – it's a big deal. But in and of, in and of itself, the bigger deal is – being the last clip right <laughs> standing there with your teammates that's right watching one shining moment and knowing the last clip of one shining moment is us lifting up that trophy correct correct and, and it, we, we got a half of a second on one shining moment this year this past year at uncg that's not what i'm right i i want to be no i'm just saying to clarify for people yeah. right yeah i want to be sitting on the stage you know watching again you're, you're the last clip and that that was that's the part I remember that the celebration was just like, 
euphoria. You know, I mean, uh, it was it was really special. Uh, something something that you know, and when teams experience things like that together, they're tight forever. And that 05 Ever. team, we're all still extremely close. We all still talk all the time. So I guess that brings us to an interesting point, and, and, and I don't want to completely deviate from the path we're on right now, but does that give you an understanding of, of why the 92 team is so tight for Cincinnati? And, and it kind of spills over into that 2000 team that was, was number one and should have won a national championship if Kenyon doesn't break his leg. Like when, when you see those guys be as passionate as they are about the program, for you, does that click in that, yeah, I, I have that same thing with my guys and I get why they're so passionate and, and, and why they're so uh, they were so aggressive in trying to get, you know, Eric Martin, the job or get Nick Van Exel involved back in the program. Like where's, where's your mind on that when you see that from them? Because I think fans overreact to it a little bit and take it as complaining but in reality, it's passion, right? It's 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 that love that you have for what you you built and created. No, you're right on it. In my opinion, I completely understand it. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to be the coach here. I mean, people care deeply. I've always wanted to coach somewhere that had this kind of history, this kind of tradition, and people care this much. Well, the guys that put the jersey on, they're the most invested, right? Like, they, like, so, we, you know, there's yeah. all these people that care so much, which I think is what makes this program so special. And the guys that actually went out there and, and did it and put a jersey on, you know, you can't, you can't describe the way that they feel about what they've accomplished, worked for, achieved. And then when, like, like I was talking about with our 05 team at Carolina, when you actually, like, get to that point, you get to the final four, I, yeah, that, that creates even a different level of pride. So I don't view that as anything other than like those feelings, those emotions. That's why I'm here. And I can look, I'm not going to pretend to understand everything about the culture of Cincinnati basketball when I've been on the job for like three or four days. OK, and so I'm not going to try to compare it and say it's the same, but that same pride and passion for accomplishing something special over generations, not just one team or one era. Like I can relate to that because of how people in the Carolina basketball family feel. And I've been associated with that family for almost 20 years. So I, yes, I can, re I can relate to some of that. And I think that comes from like a really special place inside when you put a Jersey on and given like everything you have to a team and a university, I think it's awesome. I think it's one of the reasons I wanted to be the coach here. And, and I, I was told this might have been discussed on the, the Zoom with the players that you know how you would have felt if somebody from outside the family would have been hired to Carolina. Absolutely. I mean, we went through the, the you know, the, the coaching search a couple of weeks ago when Coach Williams retired suddenly. Um, and I mean, there's there's a former player text chain at Carolina with everybody, you know, like Every, everybody. literally everybody. I, maybe not like one or two people, but like, like literally like who's who. Right. And, right. and then a bunch of other people like me that don't matter. But my point is that that thing goes all day, every day. And there's a lot, people have a lot of strong opinions and feelings, but it's because they care so much. And at the end of the day, like it's a, it's a real family. And I, I understand that. 
like talking to the this same group that again a program it's one of the best programs in the history of college basketball like I'm coaching one of the best programs in the history of college basketball like I gotta pinch myself because it's been great for so long generation after generation era after era like I get it like I, I don't I'm not saying I totally understand every every aspect of it yet I'm going to try but I get that kind of dynamic in a in a in a from a big picture because of kind of where I come from um let, let's go back to the the start of the coaching career uh, you you have a couple of years as an assistant you you take the Greensboro job which you're from Greensboro you're familiar with that program as, as much as anybody can be at that point in time well no no I didn't, bad, take the, I didn't take the Greensboro job I was I was we were <laughs> I mean Mike Dement who was was great to me and, and gave me one of my first jobs was in an impossible situation when when he took over the job and like if, if anybody is like really a basketball fanatic go back and look in like the 2009 10 like 8 9 9 10 10 go look at the non-conference schedule that yeah. UNCG was playing then it was like built to fail i mean trying to make I, money uh, it was that's the crazy thing they were actually home and homes like cuz it's a long story and you know uncg may, had a great idea and moved into the greensboro coliseum which is only three blocks from campus but they tried to go play all the acc teams in non-conference and it was a built to fail situation so i end up because we were failing miserably as an interim coach just to get through the year and we caught lightning in a bottle we ended up winning 10 of 11 and, you know, people got excited. We, we won, like, the division of our conference at the time, the North right. Division. And I – so I'm not sure I, like, took the job. I kind of got lucky that I got an opportunity. We had some success. And then I was – you know, I felt like earned the job as the interim coach. I don't mean to yeah. tick at you, but it was – No, I know It was fine. not that simple. It was very fortunate. And then 28 years old, I'm a head coach. And, and that was just very, very lucky, right place at the right time type of thing. Those first five years weren't easy. Uh, you're taking over a program that historically had struggled. You're trying to find your identity. Uh, how hard was locating that identity? Finding out who Wes Miller really was as a coach. You're, you're not Roy Williams. You're, you're not Dean Smith. Uh, you're Wes Miller. And you're at that point in time, you're swimming upstream. There, there are recruiting North Carolina, especially from Greensboro, would be easy. Like, uh, there's a lot of uh, sharks swimming in those waters, right? Yeah, I mean, everything you mentioned, and it, like it's really interesting just to look at the program at UNCG now, 10 years later, that is a, in a really healthy place. And the way people view that program, like prospects and the interest level and the ability to recruit in the state of North Carolina or surrounding areas at that time, it was not viewed that way at all. I mean, it was, it was, it was hard to beat, you know, schools that, Honestly, there's like 17 or 18 Division I schools in North Carolina, and we were somewhere at the right. bottom of that list. Um, but you talk about the struggles as a coach. Uh, you know, I've been very candid about this over the years. You know, I'm 28. I've been in coaching only for a couple of years. Certainly, like, I had a – I felt like I knew what I was, was getting into. I thought I knew what I was doing. I got the interim job. We had some real good success and made a run. And then I get the job and it's kind of like, okay, I got this coaching thing figured out. Like I know what I'm doing. And, and we got our ass kicked for the first two years miserably and not just on the court, but with 
running a program, like managing people, like building relationships the right way. I think the intentions were always there, but I'll never forget Chad. Like uh, Jared Hass was having a, there's a close friend. He's the head coach at Stanford. Now he was at UAB at the time and he had a coaching clinic and he asked me to come down, which is interesting that he, you know, why he wanted me to speak at that time. But I never forget. I was sitting in the first row and there was a couple speakers before me. And one was a guy named Lenny Acuff and Lenny Acuff is the head coach at Lipscomb right now. But at that time, he was the head coach at Alabama Huntsville, a Division II program. And he had done a terrific job, and he did a terrific job after that. But here I am. I played at North Carolina. I've been in Division I. I'd never even heard of Alabama Huntsville. And I'm 28, not 29, whatever, you know, youngest head, you know, like a young head coach. And he starts his, his clinic. I'll never forget this. He said there's two types of coaches. There's those that are about to be humble. And those that are, I mean, those that are humble and those that are about to be humble. And I went, holy (laughs) moly, like, that's true. Because now I'm the guy that is humble. Like, you know, a couple of years after taking that job, because it was so hard. I I didn't realize at 28 taking the job, what coaching was really all about. Uh, I didn't realize how much went into it, how hard you have to work at other things other than just basketball. And, uh, and it took a long time after we failed miserably to kind of adjust to, 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 to put things in place to have a good value system and live by that. And I think once we did that, we never really looked back. Um, but those first two or three years was a crash course in coaching. And I'm so lucky. Like, I am so lucky because most guys make those kind of mistakes and lose their jobs. And, and I deserve to lose my job. But our leadership at UNCG gave me opportunity, let me fight through it. And, and, you know, kind of the rest is history, but, but I'm really fortunate. You know, that's why I spoke about it in my press conference, the, yep. the leadership of that institution, you know, that I, I owe them so much because a lot of guys wouldn't have made it this far. So when I look at the history of the UT Bearcats and I, and I think of Greensboro, North Carolina, I do think of a guy. I think of a guy that, that, that came from Greensboro. You might have an, you might have a mole that can help you out in this process, right? There, there might be a guy about the same age as you. Uh, people were terrified of him. He was the first team all biggie player. We, we jump about the same center. Too. We got the you same can jump. Too. Yeah, you got the yeah. same vertical. Yeah. Eric, Eric Hicks is, is one of your guys, right? Like that, that's a that's a guy West Miller grew up with. I remember him dunking on me. In AAU, <laughs> I don't he know dunked on everybody. Oh man, he was he was something else. Um, yeah, f- from Wright and Greens, but we have a ton of mutual friends, known him for for forever, and think the world of him, and, and really enjoyed following his career at Cincinnati and and on and onward. So you know, I, I think the world of Eric Kicks, and we do come from the same place. So uh, it's it's nice, and you know, Gary Clark, I, we recruited. There's some guys that have played at Cincinnati that I've known for a really long time. So there's, so there's a couple guys that have come from North Carolina and, and had some great experiences up here. I, hopefully I can be the next one. How awesome has it been to see the rise of Gary Clark and, and to see what he's been able to do and, and make carve out a little space for himself in the NBA, because we talked about this before the podcast, genuinely like the nicest person you'll ever, ever meet is Gary Clark. And I didn't know, Chad, we got to give you credit that you discovered. 
that you you, you, you discovered Coach Davis, on, the, on the road? Coach Davis will dispute that. We we've talked about it here <laughs> on Bearcat Journal before. It was by accident, so it wasn't like it wasn't like I had Gary Clark starred on my list <laughs> playing playing for Wes the North Carolina Red Storm at the time. The Red Storm, yeah, I, I, they'll love. The Red Storm will love getting a shout out. Okay. And that's who he was playing for at the time. He was he was a right. sophomore going into his junior year. He's with the North Carolina Red Storm. That's right. Well, that's how you know I'm real. You didn't know that I knew that. I'm, you might have I'm impressed my credentials. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Uh no, he's such a nice kid. And he was such a nice kid that at UNCG, and again, we, we got a little smarter as years went on. We thought we had a <laughs> chance to recruit him. So I went to like five of his high school games his junior year. And then I'll never forget the, the EYBL. I think the first live period was in Anaheim. That yeah. Year. And he's yep. playing with CP3 that year. That was, you know, that was the end and, of it. And, and I remember after like 10 minutes, I called my staff and I said, this was a waste of time to come out here. Like, he, <laughs> I mean, he, he is so good. I, and I'm, I'm still, I'm shocked, you know, at the time I was, I'm not now knowing what I know, but at the time we were shocked he got out of the state of North Carolina, you know, that with Carolina and Duke and NC State right there, you know, within an hour of his hometown, people were surprised because he was that good. But that shows you the type of kids that we're capable of recruiting to Cincinnati. Again, like another reason, you know, I've always known this was a special job. Uh, I'll be, I want to get into recruiting before I let you go, but I'll be remiss. Uh, as you know, UC has a very storied history wearing a certain logo on the top of their Jersey. You're going to get, try to get me in trouble, Chad. I'm not not trying to get you in trouble. trouble. I'm, I'm just saying, do you have the same affinity for that logo that maybe UC fans do? I'm going to say, you can can say yes or no, right? (laughs) I'm going to say this. Number one, you know, I've learned to have a lot of gratitude. And when people give us, like, all this unbelievable clothing and equipment and gear, like, we need to be really grateful for it. Like, that's first. And anything that has that logo on it, we need to be really proud of. So, like, that's second. So, I am extremely grateful. And, I mean... we have a contract to wear a pair. That's like, we got to put this in perspective, but you, you were at Greensboro. You understand I, the challenges of not having what you have now. Correct. Um, however, I, I will say, and I'm not saying anything negatively about any other brand, but when I was like, you talked a little bit earlier growing up, like I grew up watching that 2000 team. Like that yeah. was cultural. Like I always say that team needs to get more credit for who they were culturally across the country. Like, like the fab Bob always gets a ton of credit for that, for like a cultural movement. And that is of course warranted, but like those Cincinnati teams, like they, they were cultural too. And when you think of those teams, like that team in 2000, that was, that was an incredible basketball team to watch. Like, and I was in high school at the time you think about Jordan, like, so, so yeah, like, and I, and I loved wearing Jordan, in college and, and certainly had, you know, I've hung up some of my, I have a closet full of Jordans, but I don't mean, so I I do love Jordan brand, but I don't mean to, to say that I'm not excited. No, you just, you have a connection. That's right. You have a connection. 
Yeah, I think did um, I do that politically correct enough? I, I think you I think you handled it yeah. well. The the, okay. the fans wanted to hear that response, so I had to give it to them. I had to at least ask the question, and politically you handled it as well as humanly possible. Uh, you're now you're you're not only building a roster, you're building a staff. Uh, what is the openness to looking at? You know, is there maybe a, a former Bearcat either on a in a bench assistant role or in a role on your support staff where you want somebody? Uh, maybe to have your ear that has been part of this 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 deal for decades. Yeah, well, I'm going to try to get a, a staff, at least some spots in place this week. Uh, I'm going to want some people around me that I've worked with. I, I, yeah. I think there's there's value in that. Um, I think it'll allow us to hit the ground running and instill some values right away that you know we all believe in. Um, so, like, I, there's going to be a couple familiar faces. Um, I, I will say I am going to go through a process with at least one of the assistant positions and I am going to sit down and give a real chance to any former Bearcat that is qualified for the position or any other positions in administrative roles that there'll be some open ones there. I, I, I am committed to that. Um, I want to put together the best possible staff we can to go have success and, and, and work like a team. And so there's a lot of things I value putting a staff together. It's a lot of the same things I value putting a team together. Um, and I, but I got to get a couple guys in place so we can kind of get running. And then there's going to be a couple positions that, you know, we go through more of a process with to round it out, put the pieces together. And I am, if, if there's a person qualified that wore this Jersey they are going to get my full attention and get a real shot at it. And if it's, if it's close, they'll have the benefit of the doubt. I, I really believe that. Has there been any interaction uh, with Luke Fickle yet? Have you had a chance to, I heard you were at the spring game. Have you had a chance? At all? Yeah, you're an insider. You knew I popped in the spring game. I, I was trying to be inconspicuous. Um, no, I, I hear I, everything coach. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. No, um, I missed him. Uh, the day of my press conference, we were, we were trying to yeah. connect. And then he actually popped in the office the morning of the spring game, which yes, yesterday days are running together, but yeah. yesterday, yesterday morning, yesterday, he, he popped in and said hello, which I, I, I mean, that, that, that was really kind. Cause I know that's a big day. Um, and so I've been meet, wanting to meet with him. I've been excited to talk to him, pick his brain. I mean, what he's accomplished and what he's done to this point. I, I have admiration for that and respect for that. And uh, that was really nice of him to come upstairs and, and say hello. So I look forward to spending more quality time with him when I get back in town. You've had a chance to, uh, to talk to at least one former coach of the UC program. Uh, what, what wisdom maybe did, did Mick Cronin impart on you on as you were walking into this job from someone that's a lifelong Bearcat, from someone that this, this program means a lot to? Well, I, I mean, you know, and I, I'm reached out to Coach Huggins, and I hope I can connect with him soon. It, it's really important to me to recognize those guys, you know, and, and, and all the former coaches, like the, the yeah. people that came before me. That is really important that uh, they know and people know how much respect I have for what's been done here and what's been accomplished here. And yeah, you know, like you talked about, I, I grew up watching Cincinnati through coach Huggins, the coach Huggins years. 
and when yeah. I was a fan, like as a fan. And then, you know, I watched Coach Cronin's teams more as somebody that just admired him as a coach, admired the way they played and tried to learn, you know, as I was getting into coaching. Um, so I think it's important to, to, to listen and to try to learn from them with the kind of success they had here and talking to coach Cronin, like you can just feel his passion, like for this program, for this university, for this city, like you could, you could feel it. And I know it's, it's in him from the time, you know, growing up here all the yep. way through. Um, and I, you know, he gave me a ton of great advice. Uh, but the best thing he probably told me was you can call me anytime you want. My line's open. So I plan on wearing him out with questions. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very coachable and always looking to learn. He's got a difference than us though. There are times he's, he's actually going to be at the beach. We don't, <laughs> we don't get that option. <laughs> and that's, that's all right. That's all right. We got the gym. Yeah. Um, last thing I really want to get into before I let you go, and you've been awesome with your time, uh, recruiting philosophy. Uh, I, I know we talked about when you first got into coaching, maybe you thought your style was going to be a little different than how it has evolved into, but your teams, uh, at least over the past five years have looked a lot like Cincinnati teams, long athletic. They get after you defensively. They, they create turnovers. They hit the offensive glass. They play with a toughness that, that, determines winning and losing that that decides winning and losing what does west miller going into a gym and sitting down what what gets that star when you're watching a kid what gets that you know that that maybe you circle him or you highlight him i don't know your method yet i haven't i haven't had the chance to bug you during an open period uh where i follow you around like a lost puppy but what gets that the, that mark from Wes Miller that this is a guy we need, we need our staff to do some more work on and, and see if he's a Bearcat. Oh, I'm, I'm just impressed with like the, the way you've viewed our teams at UNCG. Cause that's how we wanted, wanted them to be viewed. Like the things that you said, those are the things that we value. Like we've always said when, you know, we stepped on the floor in the Southern conference, we wanted people to fear how hard we were going to play how physical we gonna we were gonna play, that they weren't we, we wanted them to know they weren't gonna be able to do the things they practice every day. They had to prepare to play specifically against us, that we were gonna win the turnover game, that we were gonna just win the rebounding game, that we were gonna win the hustle and effort game, right? We were gonna win the, the those little plays that get you extra possessions. So the way you described it gets me excited. Um and that's <laughs> that's what we've been about. You know, I think you know, I'll get into recruiting, but it, style of play impacts recruiting. And, yep. you know, and then off, offensively, um, you know, we, we we demand so much defensively with focus and intent and effort. We try to, like, throw, throw young people a bone and say, go play. Like, go grow as players. Like, go play with freedom. Go make mistakes. And, and if you look at our teams, we've had some years we turned it over a little too much. I hate turnovers as much as the next coach, but – I think some of our best teams, those kids grew through being able to play through some mistakes. And now all of a sudden, you know, their second or third year, they're making less mistakes and making more plays. So I think the kind of freedom, Chad, that we give offensively, it, it, it goes the other way. We, we demand so much defensively. And I think yeah. over time it really helps us. But 
uh, when we're recruiting, we're, we're looking for guys that can play the style of play that we play defensively. And, and you mentioned it. We love guys that have a nose for the ball. We love guys. Well, actually, let me just start over. There's really three things. It's, it's late. I've been up for about four straight days. So let me get back to it. Okay. Um, the first thing we're looking for is, is competitiveness. Like, like we got to see the kids love to compete. Like, like that's like when you go to watch Gary Clark, like that, like that box is checked immediately. They have to love it. Like I I just, and I I say this to to young people when we recruit them. If you don't have that quality, you probably won't like playing for us. So that's probably number one. Okay. The, the, the second thing that we look for is like, they have to really, really care about winning and losing. So you're trying to see like, you know, some people like playing a lot, but they don't necessarily like have a high value on winning and losing. So we're really trying to figure that out. Uh, the third thing, and obviously this is assuming they're good enough, right? Let's just assume that we're looking for good players. I mean, <laughs> right. obviously, like, you know, they can't look like me and not be good and they have those qualities and we want them. But the third thing then is more some of those intangible things that they fit our style. But we're looking for like certain character qualities in terms of how they approach it and how tough they are, and how physical they are, and, you know, how much they, they love to play. Like, did, you can see it sometimes watching kids on the bench. Like, they're not in the game and their team makes a big play. Like, how's their reaction? Is it the, you know, I get up and stand up and clap because it's what I'm supposed to do? Or is it like a genuine reaction yeah. of like how they respond when their team has success? Like, you're, you're looking for all these qualities because um, that stuff impacts winning. And, and then, you know, like you said, the style of play. Like we, we want length. We want like twi- like twitchy guys. We want guys that can play multiple positions because um, we want to be able to get after you defensively and get after the board and get up and down a little bit. And then we do want to have some skill, you know, like some highly skilled guys to kind of make offense work, but they they got to be really tough. Like if, if we're going to give up some length and athleticism, you got to be tough as they come. And, and so we, we will take some guys that don't necessarily fit that mold, but they have to have some insides that we believe in as well i have said for about the past uh, six months or so the the most important thing with the transfer portal with the way the game is evolving is that the most important thing right now going forward is recruiting your own roster are you happy with recruiting your own roster to this point and uh you know the, the the decisions by mike saunders to return and and we see mason madsen and Jeremiah Davenport and Mike Adams Woods all pledge allegiance back to the program. You've got to be happy with how the, the, the recruiting of your own roster is starting to come together. And that's obviously the first challenge. Um, yeah, I think I've never thought of it as now, right now it's somewhat recruiting because they don't know me. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it's a little bit of that right now within this situation. But I think when you've coached that team, you shouldn't have to recruit your own roster. I, I think the, the transfer portal, I know what you're trying to say, but I think the transfer portal, what it does now is it pu- puts more pressure on us as coaches to make sure that we're really honest and upfront when we're recruiting kids about. And that's kind of what, what I mean. Yeah. But like, I think that happens in the recruiting process. So when they get here, they're not looking at you going, 
I mean, if you're recruiting a freshman and you have experienced team, like you need to be honest and, and explain to them, hey, year one's going to be tough. And we all have enough experience to know that there's very few freshmen that transcend college basketball. Like most freshmen yeah. struggle. And, you know, it, you know, previously it's like, OK, well, they, they come in. They expect it to be great. They struggle and they fight through it and they become sophomores. That's not going to happen as much, but they will if you make that clear on the front end what your expectations are and what's real. So I think transparency now and being honest and upfront is what's going to help us when we get to this point a year from now and, and putting a roster together that makes sense. Like we, we don't want to have 13 guys that all think they're going to start and play all the minutes, but we also want to have competitive nature and practice where guys are competing like but there's a balance and so I think so much of getting continuity now in college basketball is like roster building roster management being really upfront and honest and that's something I've been really proud that we did you know not maybe not the first two or three years at UNCG but the last seven um, because we, we kind of went through the transfer thing in my in the early part of my career and continuity became one of the hallmarks of what we were trying to do. And so I think we have an idea how to do that now, but you're right. I mean, the transfer portal adds uh, some dynamics we've never seen in this, but I, I actually think if you're really honest and upfront with kids, I, I think it's going to help us in the long run. I, I really believe it. it's going to help us find the right fit. All right. Well, I, I have taken way too much of your time and you have been amazing. And uh, this is one the fan base is going to love. So uh, I want to get that out there for them as quick as possible. Have a safe flight from wherever it is you might be. Yeah, Chad, let's do this again when I've, I've gotten some sleep. It's been like three days. So who knows? I don't even remember what I said in the last 30 minutes. So, I mean, we'll do this again when I'm a little sharper. Coach, I haven't slept in a month. <laughs> You're an alien. <laughs> I got to sleep sometimes. I, I like it. I, I enjoy it. It just hasn't really been on the table uh, when, when you're up on the phone talking to people until that's, that's what I've learned over this basketball people. There are, there are two sets of basketball people, right? There are the ones that stay up are the night owls. And there are the other ones that are in the gym at like seven o'clock in the morning. My problem is I have to deal with both of those sets of people. So sleep is not <laughs> really an option. Well, it might be a couple of years before I, I, I sleep, but at some point I'm gonna get. Some, I'm gonna have at least have a night to recharge the batteries here in the near future. So, um, all right. Hey, th- thanks for having me on, Chad. I'm 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 thrilled, man. I'm I'm thrilled. We just we got to get a roster together, and, and we need to be ready to step out next year. And and we we need to be a, a, a great basketball team right away. We we we're not trying to wait around and make people sit around and wait on us. So we're gonna get after it. Appreciate it, Coach. Thank you so much, and uh, we will talk soon. All right, brother. Appreciate you. All right. I'm Chad Brendel. That's going to wrap it up. He's Wes Miller. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com.